Chapter 12 of Acts, if you want to go ahead and turn there, that's where it will be this morning. Chapter 12 of Acts serves as a turning point to the book of Acts. We see the baton pass from Peter to Paul as he goes out on his many missionary journeys. And if you haven't uh, listened to all of these sermons yet, go back and listen on the website or through the app. You can watch them. You can listen to them. You can take some time while you're washing your dog to go ahead and jump in and listen to a sermon, right? I'm just going to find all the reasons and all the things that you can do and just talk about them. But before we move away from Peter, there's a lot of action in Acts chapter 12. The Roman king Herod begins to heavily oppress the church. And this would be Herod Agrippa, who was also the grandson of Herod the Great. And by the end of this chapter, we see Herod Agrippa die because he allowed people to worship him like he was a god. Remember, the Jews are under Roman rule at this time. But before Herod Agrippa dies, he put James, the brother of Jesus, to death with a sword. And Herod Agrippa had used his relationship with the Jewish elite to help grow his power. Give me one second. Jared, I got a lot of ring up here. I'm not sure what it is. A little bit of an echo. Give it up for Jared Marazzi up there stepping in. Amen. We have an awesome sound team, by the way, live stream, all the stuff on the screen, and uh, they're always excellent. Uh, but we see here that Herod Agrippa put James, the brother of Jesus, to death, and he most likely killed James to curry favor with the Jewish Sanhedrin. The church was rocking the boat too much, and this was an attempt to stop everything that was going on. Remember, the Acts is this story about how the church was on the move through the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, next we see Herod arrest Peter to win over even more favor with the Jews. And it looks like Herod was maybe planning on executing Peter as well. But Peter wouldn't stay in prison for long. We see in Acts chapter 12, verse 5, it says, So Peter was kept in prison. But earnest prayers for him was made to God by the church. And now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with chains and sentries before the door who were guarding the prison. And it seems like King Herod was a little bit worried that Peter is going to break out of prison because that's a lot of security for just a fisherman. God had helped release Peter before from prison, but this time he was chained to two guards uh, and uh, more sentries that were at the door. And during this time, the church is actively praying for Peter. Verse 7, and it says, Behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him and saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. And when they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city and it opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel left him. 
When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent this angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people and what they were expecting. Peter thought he was sleepwalking at first. He thought it was a dream, but it wasn't. It was a miracle. Peter was facing certain death the next morning, but now he was free. And the prayers of the church had been answered. This was just another sign that the Holy Spirit was working through the church and God's stamp of approval was on what they were doing. So Peter escaped and he shows up at the door of the church as they were still praying in the house of Mary, the mother of John. And Peter knocks on the door and says, hey, let me in. It's Peter. And a servant girl hears it through the door and she ran to tell everyone at the rest of this prayer meeting, that Peter was free. But they thought that she had lost her mind rather than believe that God had actually answered their prayer. But eventually they opened the door and Peter told them everything that happened. Herod had tried to kill Peter again uh, just a little while later, but before he could, he felt the consequences of his own sin. And Herod died because he allowed people to believe that his voice was God's voice. That's a dangerous game to play, right? I once had a man sit across from me and tell me that God had told him something that seemed to me like it was wrong. And I asked him how he could tell the difference between God's voice and his own voice motivated by his own personal desires, and he didn't know. He didn't have anything to say. So we need to be careful as Christians when we're throwing around, God told me when we aren't basing those things on God's word. Let us never confuse or trying to convince people that our voice is God's voice. That's a dangerous thing to do. Now, you could say, I feel like God is leading me, or I'm praying that uh, for this direction, I feel like God wants me to go. Those are much safer things to say and humbler things to say. Because yes, God is never wrong, but I can be wrong. And I can be confused. And the things that I think uh, are Uh, signs that God is leading me might just be me trying to get my way. So just like the Romans in the Sanhedrin couldn't stop Jesus, Herod couldn't stop the church either. God increased it and multiplied it. So we see in Romans chapter 13, it takes us back to the first Gentile church in Antioch. Chapter 1, verse 3 of uh, uh, chapter 13. It says, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. And soon this church of Antioch would become another center for the Christian faith, second only to Jerusalem. The people were together and they were encouraging each other and they were fasting and praying together. So much more than just coming and sitting silently in a sanctuary on 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning. In these verses, the Spirit moved during a worship service and Paul and Barnabas are called to go out as missionaries to the island of Cyprus. And Barnabas was actually from this Greek island of Cyprus. He knew it well. So they jump in a boat around AD 46. 
It's hard to be a sending church like this, right? You want to keep all the people that you love in one place. Maybe you even struggle with that in your life group. I'm sure the church in Antioch wanted Paul and Barnabas to stay, but they knew that followers of Jesus are going people. So instead, they prayed over them and they launched them out. Cyprus was a small island in the Mediterranean Sea known for its copper mines. And there also was large groups of Jewish people there as well. So Paul and Barnabas head there and then they head to the synagogue which is where the Jewish people in the area would have worshipped. And they, they want to tell the Jewish people about Jesus and also that God was making himself known to the Gentiles and including the Gentiles into his new people called the church. John Mark also went with them, who was uh, Barnabas's cousin. And it's the same Mark that would later write one of the Gospels. So they went through the island preaching the Gospel. And as they arrived at the port of New Paphos, they were surprised to be called to stand before the proconsul of Cyprus, a man by the name of Sergius Paulus. And a proconsul would have ruled an area for the Roman government. Here's a, a picture of his name inscribed, uh, and there's just one of the many uh, pla- uh, 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 rocks, whatever, stones where his name was described or uh, inscribed that dated along this same time that Paul would have been here. So Sergius Paulus wanted to hear about the gospel, and he wanted to hear about Christ. But as Paul and Barnabas told Sergius Paulus about Christ, they were rudely interrupted by a sorcerer who went by the name of Elymas, which is also translated as wizard. And he also went by the name of Bar-Jesus, which means son of Jesus. Elymas was a close counselor to uh, Sergius Paulus, and Elymas knew that his influence was in danger if Sergius Paulus converted to Christianity. We see this in Acts chapter 8. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil! You enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. And then the proconsul believed when he saw that what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So Paul's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he saw right through Elymas and his selfish motives. And Paul saw the urgency of the situation because he knew that the soul of Sergius Paulus was in the balance. So Paul called this sorcerer out in front of everyone for exactly who he was. He says, you're no son of Jesus, you're the son of the devil. And they told them all that Elymas was full of lies and deceit and opposed the gospel. And that Elymas, who had mixed sorcery with the Bible and perverted the ways of God, that he would be judged. Now, this was a dangerous thing for Paul to do because this was a friend of the proconsul, and he called him out in front of everyone. Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he knew that the Lord was on his side. And there is a time for grace and mercy, but there's also a time to call out sin for what it is. 
Now, one thing that I've had to learn is that the Holy Spirit's guidance is very important on deciding what time it is. Is it time for grace and mercy or is it time to call out sin? And it seems like it's always the opposite of what my flesh wants to do, right? Paul then tells everyone that God would judge this wickedness and strike Elymas blind. And immediately, Elymas' sight faded and then failed. And as we look at this, this might seem harsh, and it is drastic, but being struck with blindness for a short time played a big part in Paul's conversion story. And this blindness is a big part of the pro-council believing on Jesus and becoming a Christian as well. And hopefully, Elymas also received Christ as a result of this. But this would be the first of many miracles and wonders done by the power of God through Paul and Barnabas. Many people would come to know Christ through them. And once again, the gospel faced opposition, but it still advanced. No magician stood against the power of Jesus. Side note here is that superstitions and spells and horoscopes have no power, and they are empty. Jesus is the answer to everything that you need. So next, Paul and Barnabas left Cyprus, and they head to Asia Minor. And this would have been the first time that they were going into uncharted territory. And remember, this idea of being a missionary didn't exist before all this. The thought of taking the word of God to the pagans was not a thing that the Jewish people did. But God was ready to spread the gospel all over the world. But Paul and Barnabas broke new ground by becoming some of the first missionaries. And many would follow them in the future. So Paul's in his late 40s, a time when most men seek the comforts of home. This is when Paul began his roughest travels. And as they stopped in the port of Perga, a land so far into them and so unlike Jerusalem, Barnabas' cousin, John Mark, began to have second thoughts about this whole missionary thing. Paul wanted to press forward deeper and deeper into unknown lands to spread the word of God to forgotten people. But John Mark wasn't ready to go any further. And he deserted Paul and Barnabas and the mission that God had given them. Some think it was because Barnabas had allowed Paul to take the lead, even though Barnabas was the Christian that had uh, you know, been a follower of, of Christ longer. But it was obvious to Barnabas that Paul had the hand of God on his life. But maybe it wasn't so obvious to John Mark. Maybe John Mark got scared or homesick or even lovesick for a girl left behind. Regardless of this reason, John Mark abandoned them, and that left a deep wound in the life of Paul that would only heal years later. And this trio became a duo. Acts chapter 13, 13, now Paul and his companions uh, companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. So Paul and Barnabas forge on. Now the Romans had uh, constructed uh, these roads that Paul and Barnabas would have traveled on, maybe on uh, an animal or uh, a cart pulled by animals, but up these mountains, only foot travel would have been safe. And besides these obstacles of the mountains, Paul and Barnabas would have been Uh, careful to stay away from robbers and thieves lying in wait beside the road. The journey was slow and it was hard, but they had a purpose. And this journey taught them a lot. 
Paul would later talk about this uh, in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty six. He says, on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false prophets, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. The authors of these letters in scriptures don't paint a rosy picture of what it's like to follow Jesus. It was hard to be a Jesus follower. And it makes no sense uh, how pastors and churches can try and twist scripture to say that Jesus just wants to fulfill your every wish like a genie. It's hard to be a follower of Jesus, but it's so worth it. And Paul learned some valuable lessons during this time in his life. In Philippians 4.11, he says, Now that I'm uh, speaking of being in need, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And Paul had been through some hard stuff, but he had learned that even when it's hard, he could be content. Paul learned through the hungry times and the cold nights and the hot and tiresome days that God is always good. And he learned how to be content with what God had given him. This is such a contrast to what we just saw with John Mark, who left this missionary journey because things got scary and hard and uncomfortable. Some of us have tried to follow Christ and surrendered our whole life, but we gave up when things got hard. And because we doubted God's direction and we thought that a little bit of tribulations and trials meant that maybe we had misunderstood what God wanted us to do. But in doing so, we miss out on learning through the trials the lessons of how to be at peace and have contentment in the face of hard things. And when the gospel advances, persecution comes, but despite opposition, we've seen so far through the power of the Holy Spirit that Stephen acted out the gospel and that Peter acted it out and that Philip acted out the gospel and Paul and Barnabas acted it out. This movement was snowballing and gaining momentum and branching out into the whole world. And the early church understood that for the gospel to move forward, they needed to take steps. They didn't just complain about what's going on in the world and, and talk about how our country needed God or talk about how, how bad and dark things were and just expect somebody else to do it. They understood that we were not just meant to sit in an old sanctuary, but we're called to love God and love people and go into the community and into the world. And as we look at this book of Acts, we're constantly reminded that we are missionaries. And that we need to find our mission, uh, mission field out there. Where are our little church outposts, the small communities of people that we're bringing alongside us, where we worship God together and we live in community together and we live on mission together? Where is your opportunity to use your job and your hobbies and your sphere of influence to start gospel conversations and to be a light in the community? The world out there around us is confused and they're lost, and they don't understand, and they're going with the flow of the culture, 
which changes all the time. Where are your people that God has called you to go to? In this letter of Acts, Luke is writing the sequel to his gospel, telling this man, Theophilus, that if he follows Jesus, that things may be hard, but through the leading of the Holy Spirit, God will get you through. And you will learn how to be at peace, and you will learn contentment, and God will get the glory. But if you chase the things of this world, and after money, and after influence, and after power, and after fame, if you chase those things, those things will not bring you contentment. Those things never have an end to them. And when we feed our appetites, they only get bigger. The only way to be satisfied is to follow Christ. And each of us that have decided to follow Jesus and not just sit on the sidelines... That's an exciting thing because we get to follow the footsteps of these early followers of Christ. And we get to act it out too. Don't give up when someone shuts you down or someone uh, stabs you in the back or gossips about you or takes the good things that you're trying to do and twists them into something bad. Don't give up. When it gets hard. God will teach you things that you never thought were possible, and he just might use you to reach your community with the gospel. Herod tried to stop the church from spreading out. Elymas tried to use God and use Jesus for his own means and to twist the gospel to gain power, and there needed to be a confrontation. John Mark got discouraged and quit. But the gospel presses forward. And all these people that stood against the gospel are just footnotes. The gospel pressed forward through the power of the Holy Spirit. But see, the story of the Bible doesn't end with the book of Revelation. It's not over with the last period at the last chapter. You are a continuation of this book. What we do is the next steps. You can draw a direct line from what's going on in this book to your life today. What are you doing with the gospel? How are you going out? And it might not be easy, and it might be against your personality, and you might think that you don't have time, or you might have been burned in the past, but if we will go with the power of the Holy Spirit, you can't be stopped. So how are we acting it out? How are we living out our faith? It's not enough just to say you're a Christian and to try and be good and make no impact on the world around you. We are called to be a going people. Don't quit when things get hard. Don't quit when you get discouraged. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Don't chase the things of this world, the temporary things that bring no satisfaction. Push forward through the hard times and keep your eyes on Jesus. Let's go ahead and pray. Bow our heads and ask God to call us where he wants us to go and make it so obvious to put a burden for someone on our hearts even now.
Where are you going? Where is your mission field? You're pointing people to something. Is that something Jesus? Maybe you need to decide to get to know your neighbors so that you might leverage those uh, relationships in a loving way to tell them about Christ because there is nothing better than Jesus. Maybe it's going out to eat with someone from work to be able to build a relationship and let them know that you care about them and then and tell them about this wonderful thing called the gospel. Maybe it's asking someone to go golf or go fish or go shopping or whatever it may be. We need to think outside of ourselves and we need to go. This is how we got to church today. And this is how the church will still be here in 100 years. If you're content to just sit and take in God's word and never burn any spiritual calories, then we're in trouble. We've got to go. But not by our own power, by the power of the Holy Spirit. That might start with confessing some sins in your life. It might start with making sure you're living with an attitude of contentment and gratitude. Maybe you're here today and you're not yet sure you're a Jesus follower. The Bible says that we've got a problem, and it's obvious the problem is sin. Sin is anything that we do that's contrary to God's law. That means lying or gossiping or being bitter at people and not forgiving. And we've all done it. And that sin causes a gap between us and a holy and a perfect God. The Bible says the wages of our sin is death. That's anything that we think, say, or do. That sin drives a wedge between us and God. But Romans 5.8 says that God commended his love towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the gospel. Jesus in my place. Jesus took the sin, that, uh, the punishment that I deserve for my sin. And he died for it on the cross 2,000 years ago. And he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave, bringing our salvation with him. If you never put your faith and trust in Jesus... Why don't you do that today, once and for all? It's not about your good works or church membership or, or any actions that you might do. It's all about Jesus. You can call out to him right now. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You need to admit you're a sinner and that you fall short. You need to admit that you can't do it without him. You put your faith and trust in what he did on the cross and ask him to save you and bring you into relationship with him. Dear Jesus, we love you. God, I pray you help us as a church to be and to model the, the church in Acts. God, use us. God, 
raise up leaders in our church that would uh, be inspired to, to pour their life out for the gospel, even when it's hard. God, inspire that one that it used to be so much closer to you, but they got hurt and their scar tissue and they haven't yet forgiven. And they've given up. God, I pray you inspire them to get back in the race. God, I pray you talk to each and every person this morning, God, and tell them exactly what you want them to do and help us to have the boldness to do it. In your name we pray.